Welcome to another awesome episode of Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as Linda is going to tell us. It's the show that helps you grow. You know, I, I can see the joy in your face when you say that, and it just it makes me happy. Um, okay. <laughs> my name is J- Jason. This is Linda, and we are a part of the spiritual growth team here at Saddleback Church. We're happy to be joining you again um, for another episode of Doable Discipleship. This time, we are actually starting a new series. It's going to be probably, I think, a four-week series that we're going to start right now on the um, on the book Beloved Dust. Um, it, it, it's it's it, it's called Beloved Dust, Drawing Close to God by Discovering the Truth About Yourself. It's written by Jamin Goggin and Kyle Strobel. This book was released about in uh, 2014. And um, I read this book back when it came out. Uh, Jamin Goggin used to work at Saddleback Church. He was one of our pastors here. He led our retreat ministry. And him and Kyle have written a number of, of books together. And um, so I... I was really excited that we thought about doing this. We were doing a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago that Jamin uh, came back and and led. He is now actually a senior pastor at a uh, church in, in San Diego. In the comments on our, our, our staff meeting, people just were kind of talking about how much they loved Beloved Dust, right, Linda? It was something that yeah, you noticed. It was, yeah, and everybody was like, oh, that's such a great book. Oh, we should read it. And I just thought, why don't we share it with our audience? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like, okay, obviously it, it still resonates with people. And so we Absolutely. thought, let's just do a little series going through the book. And so we are are blessed to have Kyle Strobel, co-author of the book, is joining us for today's conversation. If the name sounds familiar, yes, Kyle's father is Lee Strobel, who, uh, you know, wrote The Case for Christ, along with a ton of other books, um, who also had been a pastor at Saddleback at one point. And right now, Kyle is an um, associate professor of spiritual theology at Talbot, and he has authored or co-authored seven books, including um, one of their more recent ones, The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb, which he and Jamin wrote together. And that book is actually being re-released. It was revised and updated and is being re-released at the end of um, August. And then they author, and then they, as I mentioned earlier, they both co-authored this book that we're doing the series on, A Beloved Dust. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, join our conversation with Kyle Strobel. Kyle Strobel, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me <laughs> on with you guys. It's fun. Awesome. So you had had joined us back, I think it was sometime last year, and you were with Brandon and Rob talking about this book on prayer that you wrote. I think it, it, it came out last year too, didn't it? I think it was it was um, it was in the spring at some point. Although, at some it feels point. like yeah. that was a long time ago. Quarantine <laughs> was a blur. That what whole... is time, right? It's <laughs> one of those questions we, I don't even we know. ask ourselves. <laughs> but we're thank- but but we're so grateful for you to join us back again today to talk about um, a book that you wrote about mm-hmm. seven years ago now called Beloved Dust. And so I just wanted to start kind of just at the very beginning. You know, as Maria von Trapp tells us, it's a very good place to start. Um, so with the title. <laughs> Beloved dust, right? Those two words probably haven't been uh, spoken together too much, but outside <laughs> of the book, you know, it's not something we usually kind of think about those two in the same in the same vein. So I just wanted to kind of ask the ask the basic 
question is what is the significance or kind of the, the importance of the fact that we are not just dust, but we are beloved dust. Like, like what was the, the start of that phrase for you guys? Yeah, well, you know, it gets to something that I think is really important biblically that I also think is actually one of the easiest things for us to forget. And there's a tension here biblically where on one hand, we're constantly reminded you are dust. Your life is a vapor. You are, you know, there's this, this kind of fragility to us and this lowness, but then this highness and this you're eternal, right? Mm-hmm. You get to gaze at the face of God. You get like all the, and the temptation we have is to pit them against each other, to choose one over the other. Whereas in reality, we, we have to kind of learn how to hold them together. And so the image of we are beloved and we're dust and the dusty reality of our existence um, that we were literally created from the ground. I mean, you think the name Adam initially, that, that, that name um, can be translated earthling actually because of the earth or as one person said, dirt bag, which I kind of like, um, <laughs> is like you, God creates us. This is earthy stuff. And, and there's a part of us that, that we are closer to literally the ground than we are to God in our makeup mm-hmm. in, in terms of where our origin. And yet God breathed life into us and he, he names us his own and his children. And so holding those together is important. And I, I'm actually, this is one of those things that even since we wrote the book, I, I'm just increasingly reminded mm-hmm. of how easy it is to make this mistake as Christians, how easy it is to forget that our lowness doesn't somehow make us less significant in his eyes. And, and in fact, it's only in our embrace of our weakness, in embrace our fragility, in embracing of our limitedness, that we actually come to embrace how beloved we are. And, and that it is confusing for us. You know, we we don't know what to do with when Jesus says things like, you know, the first or last and the last are first. Or if you try to save your life, you must lose it. But if you lose it for my sake, you'll find it. Or my power is made perfect in your weakness, not in your strength. Like all these ideas, we just, we don't want to say, no, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> That's not how it works, Jesus. It works like I get my act together and you love me more, right? And it's, it actually turns out it's the exact opposite. And so um, if it's coming to embrace that tension and living within that reality, that's so meaningful. Yeah, when we... um when we started talking about this and I reread the the book again, I was just struck by how so much of this idea of being dust was, we look at that as being bad. You know I mean? It's like yeah. something that we're trying to get away from. It's, you know, I mean, I don't want to have and, dust in my house. Yeah. Like, you know, you think of it. <laughs> I hate dust, <laughs> you know, but being needy and being frail mm-hmm. and being, um, limited, like you make that point and those all initially feel negative. And yet you made the point, you said it's central to who we are. It's humbling, but it's not bad. It's part of our being that God deemed good. Mm -hmm. And I just, I was so struck by how counterculture that is and how we almost have to renew our minds about being broken and being frail. And that is hard for us. Yeah. 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 I mean, totally. I just, so how do we, yeah. Is there something in that, that 
you can unpack for us, Kyle, because we do live with that tension, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. No, and this is, that's a great point. You know, I think that where we struggle is that we, we begin to think that our creatureness is bad. Yeah. And so we look at, I mean, I take it, this, let's take a really obvious example is sleep. Mm. Um, you know, how many of us try to kind of push against the margin of margins of where God has actually created us to need a certain amount of rest to function well. And how many of us have to learn, I mean, particularly in like, I don't know, college, for instance, <laughs> that, you know, that there's only so much flexibility to that where, right. where our, our body's going to remind us no, 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 no. <laughs> this is not how you live and flourish. And our, our embodiedness tells us all sorts of things about how, how we were created. And, mm-hmm. and we're constantly reminded, I, I, I think of, you know, in, in the Christian vision of the world, the most powerful people are the elderly. Mm. And just, th- I mean, talk about counter and culture, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, if you just think about that reality, it's like, no, no, they're frail. They're not powerful. They need, mm. they take, they take naps, <laughs> you know, and, and yet, you know, this is, this is not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God doesn't work the way the world thinks the world works. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that I'm again, coming back to over and over and over again, this is one of those lessons that you can't just learn once, but you'll, we'll spend a lifetime learning these things is that you do not define your value from within. Mm. Like your value is determined outside of yourself. Um, as Paul says in Colossians three, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. God defines you and how God beholds you defines you. And what, you know, one of the reasons why all throughout scripture, we're told that God opposes the proud, but gives mm-hmm. grace to the humble, that the humble are those who, who recognize God, I, without you, I could do nothing. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I have nothing here. And so I think for as Christians, our expectation should be, we're constantly going to see weakness in our lives. We're constantly going to see limitation. And the difference between us and an unbeliever is that we look at those as gifts wow. and we yeah. look at them as things to embrace precisely so that we can embrace God more fully. And, and that's why it, it actually is good news as much as to us, it feels like bad news, right? Yeah, it's like, right? Oh, this is not good. I'm Frail, limited. broken, Frail. bad. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And yet that is, that is precisely where we learn how to abide more meaningfully. And it's, it's why biblically, whenever God needs to remind his people who he is and who they are, he leads them out to the desert. Mm, that's good. Um, yeah. yeah. Kyle, have you read this book called Embodied by Greg Allison? I, you know, it's fun, funny you brought that up. I just heard about this book. I've not read it, but I've um, I've just recently heard about it. I can't even remember where, but someone yeah. was telling me about it. Yeah, our team <laughs> is reading it right now, and we're going to be doing a series on this podcast about this book mm-hmm. in a little bit. But, it, but just hearing you talk about this, it seems like there's such a great tie between this idea the of beloved death. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> this idea of beloved death, you know, j- just the in the importance of that we are, you know— embodied people intentionally that God made bodies for us and that we are body, we are soul. But, but in, in just thinking about, about the importance of those reminders that you were just giving us uh, about the humility of a weakness and a humility and and tie that with the fact that we are 
embodied, they tie together so well. So anyway, I, I just had to bring it up because that's literally what our team is is going through right now. Um, but so I wanted to I wanted to sidestep and kind of talk a little bit about the other side, the other part of the title phrase, the beloved part, a little bit. Um, like, can you share just a little bit about the significance of God's love for us, this dust that he used to make each and every one of us, essentially, you know, in, in pulling Adam from the dust, but not just that, that, that it's beloved dust. So, so how is that, is there something there that you can unpack for us a little bit? <laughs> Help us to understand that part of the title a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, it, it's one of those things that, that makes the gospel that much more astonishing that, that God who took us from the very earth, he calls us not only beloved, but he calls us his children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and that Christ took on this dust. <laughs> he, he became one of us and that that's how significant we are and our significant, it reminds me of what God tells Israel. I didn't choose you because you were the largest. <laughs> I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't choose you because you're the most impressive. I, I chose you because I loved you. And, and there's a sense where, again, we're reminded we, we shouldn't look for ways to kind of self-establish. Like I, I shouldn't look inside of myself to find like, where, where's my lovable parts of me that I could kind of build on to feel better about my life or to construct a life or to, you know, have a successful life. Hmm. It's I, I turn to how I'm beheld mm -hmm. because it's mm -hmm. God's beholding of me that defines me. Hmm. And, and that's where the dust part doesn't, doesn't end with bad news. Yeah. It's why my fragility doesn't end with bad news because it ends with God's power. And it, it ends with the fact that, that I'm beloved by God. And in spite of, um, not in spite of the fact that I'm a creature, that God has carried me up into his own life, but in spite of the fact that I'm a broken creature, a fallen <laughs> sinful creature, God has done this. Hmm. And so it's, it's, I think there's a danger that we can have, and I'm sure Allison and Embody talks about this, but one of the dangers that evangelicals have is we've always been tempted because we do focus on, we are sinners and sin is a part of the flesh that right. sometimes we hear body there. Mm -hmm. And we, we begin to think it's our job to debody ourselves or something like that. <laughs> yeah. right? Our bodies are bad. And, and sometimes that's explicit. Sometimes we'll literally say things like that. I think a lot of times it just gets really implicit. Mm -hmm. It's the mm -hmm. reason we don't talk about certain things in Christian households often. Sexuality is an obvious example of that, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. there's this kind of yuckiness to embodied nature that we just kind of push to the side. And, mm -hmm. and that's a real danger. Um, and I think it, it, it ends up getting understood as there's, there's these kind of lower parts of me. Whereas mm -hmm. the funny thing is the, one of the only times the Bible talks about like parts that, of our bodies that we don't like to talk about, <laughs> it's in first Corinthians 12 talking about, we actually in the kingdom hold those higher, right? Those are the, yeah. <laughs> and so it's funny when, how, how scripture thinks about our embodied nature and and our temptation to kind of see these places of, of dust as bad when biblically that's just, a, we're, we're creatures, we were created and we were created this way and it's, it's good. And it's um, yes, now we are fallen and broken, but we shouldn't try to get rid of our createdness. Um, and unfortunately, I think a lot of our temptations are to somehow try to reject the fact that we're creatures. 
Yeah, I think it's it's fascinating when you really dig into the you know the idea of not only that we were made, but that we were endowed with Imago Dei, right? That that we were made in His image, and so we're at the beginning, He is setting this dust apart, but then He continues that with the belovedness part, with the way that we are are loved continually mm-hmm. by God all the way up to the point of restoration. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I just, it's, it's really beautiful to think about the whole picture mm-hmm. of it. Is there something there that you can kind of open up for us a little bit, Kyle? I just, I, I think that, I think there about that whole spectrum, there's just something so important and impactful for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think all throughout scripture, what we discover is that God creates out of this dust and he decides to, to move in with these Mm. people. Mm. And I I think it's, it's certainly arguable that the main theme of scripture is that God created humans so that he could be with them. Mm -hmm. And so that they, he can have them as his own and that they can have him as their God. And you Mm -hmm. see this continually all throughout scripture. Um, I am your God, you are Mm -hmm. my people. And, and that just shows the, the, how profound God loves, loves mm-hmm. his people and loves his mm-hmm. dust. And in one sense, um, you know, the, the, the place we really see that is that unlike the animals who also are created out of the ground. So there's mm-hmm. part of that count where it reminds us you're more like the animals than yeah. like God, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Like in terms of your creation, but then he breathes life. Yeah. his very spirit into his people and and there's something there that shows that but you're not merely this you're not only this yeah. um there's something that sets you apart you were made in his image and and therefore you are set apart there there's something that points beyond you um in your embodiedness and this is where like today you know a lot of people might think oh well you know gorillas communicate you know gorillas like are we really that far different and they miss the point of what it means to have a life the very life of god breathed into their souls mm-hmm. that that what yeah. defines us as different is not our bodies are that much more impressive right <laughs> than <laughs> gorillas or something um but but really what point what makes us so distinct is that when when god god has chosen to kind of consider his love when when god considers himself as it were as a loving being he he always looks to us Mm. When you talked about Jesus becoming beloved dust, we talked a little bit about it a couple minutes mm. ago, but I loved that section because it even, well, first of all, it made him, you know, the, where it talks about in Philippians 2, right? He, you know, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but came among us. But him becoming dust is even, it even emphasizes that even more. But I loved what you wrote. You said that now he took on our temporality and our finitude. And you said that rather than participating in the history of Adam, we now participate in the history of Jesus. We're always marked by our first history, but it's the new history that truly defines our identity and future as beloved dust. Talk a little bit about Jesus becoming beloved Mm. dust and what that did for us and how that changed our relationship with God. Yeah, no, that it's it's really astonishing when you think about it. And as Christians, this is one of those truths that it can almost be too close to us 
that we for, we forget to really sit with how how profound it really is mm-hmm. um that that god became one of us that he took on our very nature upon himself that he entered into our condition um that he refused to kind of leave us alone but he he actually took us upon himself i mean there there's something that is astonishing there that god now in a real sense doesn't even consider himself outside of humanity because Jesus still is a human person. He still is in a human body. I mean, so that that reality is astounding that the God who's infinite took on finitude. Hmm. The God who has no boundaries took on boundaries, right? Like God enters into hunger (laughs) and you know, the, 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 the reality of walking a certain distance and your feet hurting and like all (laughs) those things, you know, and, I remember when I was in college, I read Yancey's, um, the Jesus I never knew. And he, he made a lot of these kind of points about, you know, Jesus having to go to the bathroom. Is yeah. just, never yeah, you're like, ah. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. like um, the Jesus with a hangnail, like you're just, yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Hit, hitting his finger with a hammer yeah. at some point, you know, and mm-hmm. you, you, you think of the reality of God taking upon himself, our, our condition in full and, and what that entails. And, and the fact that, that he did so just shows his commitment and faithfulness to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're reminded, you know, he understands temptation now in a way that, mm-hmm. that, um, that we can understand. Um, it's not just that God knows about temptation, but he's actually been tempted. In, mm-hmm. in, he has taken on these things. And, and that, you know, it's, it's one of the realities where, we now have, as the author of Hebrews likes to say, you know, we now have a great high priest in our nature who's gone beyond the veil. Like we, one of the images I like to think of is that God has actually sanctified a place for humanity in himself. Mm-hmm. But the way he did that is he took on humanity and he ascended back to the father in our natures. And so that there's this place now for humanity in the presence of God. And that, that is what actually provides the space for us to commune with God is that Jesus has, has taken these things on himself. Well, yeah, it's beautiful to think about Jesus as a beloved dust, but as the example of not being dusty. Right. Mm. And so I wanted to get to that (laughs) next point, you know, just to kind of talk about the, yeah, thank you. Segue. (laughs) You know, the negative side of all this is, is because you have, because you have these two, two words, beloved, Mm -hmm. good, dust, good, dustiness, (laughs) not good. So I just wanted to talk about, so for those of you who are following along in your book on page 48, Mm -hmm. um, it says our instinctive grasp of the lower in rejection of the higher when talking about dustiness, it says, when we embrace the way of dustiness, we say no to depending on God as creatures, and we seek to rise above our creaturely status by our own power. So we see that contrast mm-hmm. in Jesus as beloved us with how we inevitably engage with our dustiness. So can you talk just a little bit more about this idea of dustiness yeah. and what it looks like in our lives and in what lies in its embraces of dustiness on, on us? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, this is this is one of those, you know, the image that because we are created like the other creatures, right? Like like the animals in a sense from the ground, but have life breathe into us, our temptation is always to kind of 
um, instead of reaching up to God in our neediness to find his power, his identity upon us, his strength, the temptation is to kind of actually dig in deeper to our animal nature, as it were, Mm -hmm. and try to kind of generate a life on our own terms, try to um, flourish in our own capacities rather than in his strength to try to reject our weakness. And so sometimes the way this looks is we reject our created nature. I mean, this is just look around the world today. This is exactly what we're doing. Um, We want to define ourselves. We want to define every aspect of ourselves. You can't, you can't tell me who I am or what I am. I'll tell you, I -hmm. determine these things. Um, the, the sad reality of that is if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. And we're watching a generation who are spinning into an abyss because they, th- they think freedom will come from self-identifying and, and self-constructed realities, where Jesus tells us very clearly that is the way of death. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that Philippians 2 passage, um, you know, have this attitude, right, as, mm-hmm. as you find in mm-hmm. Christ Jesus one of the the two of the attributes we find rejected there are are a certain forms of ambition um jealousy and envy hmm. biblically those those three things you always find when you find people grasping for what is below them rather than the created nature and part of the reason for that is if you if you think you have to construct a life or you have to generate an identity you you have to reject your weakness even though we're told that's where God's power is found, you have to reject how limited you are, your createdness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what that leads us into, it leads us into the jealousy of those who who seem greater than us. Mm -hmm. It leads us to envy. It leads us to a kind of um, what James 3 calls selfish ambition. Mm -hmm. In James 3, James gives two attributes of people who embrace this way. He calls it the way from below, which he calls earthly, interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, Mm -hmm. unspiritual and demonic. So Mm -hmm. this is this base stuff. He says selfish ambition and jealousy are the two attributes of that way. And so this is what ends up happening is when we, when we, when we we generate a life from within, we, we, and again, this is just exactly what the world is doing. Mm-hmm. Where we all think that what we need to do, if only I can kind of reach down in myself and and identify myself and cre- even at times create myself, the, 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 the version of myself I want, then I'll be able to have freedom. The Bible says very clearly, no, that's death. And that's slavery, actually. That freedom comes with finding your life hidden in God, and he will define you. Um, mm. One of my favorite lines, there's a, there's a theologian in the 20th century who said, and I love this. I love this quote. He said, you know, at no point of Simon's life could he have turned into himself and found Peter. Mm. Mm-hmm. Peter mm. was what Jesus spoke over him, wow. which wasn't true of him. Yeah. Right. Not- <laughs> it's not like Jesus saw something in him, right? That there's, there's a rock right there. It's only in relation to Jesus that mm. he can live into the truth of who he is in abiding in Christ. And, and I think for many of us, we're still looking in ourselves for something that we can establish ourselves with. And, and it's, you know, we used to assume culturally that most of our existence was determined outside of ourselves, that like mm-hmm. 
our bodies, for instance, told us true things about who we were and all sorts of things, gender wise and all sorts of ways. But it's interesting now, like the turn culturally is no, we reject all these things because we've, we've, we've bought wholesale into the notion that if I can simply determine my existence, I'll find freedom. And it's sad because it's tragic. Well, and you know, that reminds me, you made a point early, early on in the book about this sort of self-determination and almost how we try to control God in our Mm self-determination is what you wrote. I wanted life on my terms. So I did what I thought God would want, thus cleverly obliging him to make my life work for me. I literally had to read that like three times because I was like, I've done that. Mm. (laughs) There was a period in my, like in my twenties where I was like, my life doesn't look, I have done all the things and my life does not look like I expected it to. And so God must have not, you know, something has broken because my life doesn't look right. And you said it again in page 38. You said, if I only work hard enough, I can have life on my terms. More than that, I deserve to have life on my terms. And yeah. when, if somebody's struggling with that, because I know I spent years really frustrated. Mm-hmm. What encouragement do you have? If somebody's struggling with that, like I'm living my life, I'm doing the thing God wants me to do, and it's not working. Yeah. What do we do? What, what do they do with that? How can we encourage them? Yeah, well... We know exactly what God is saying to you in that moment, because you just at that moment are the older brother from the parable of the father with two sons. And the father goes out to the field and he tells his son, my son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. And we have forgotten in those moments that 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 what God offers us is his life. You know, the funny thing about that parable, you know, it's tragic. We call it the prodigal son parable because of course it's not about the prodigal son. But the funny thing is, you know, money's never mentioned in the parable, even though we often mm-hmm. translate it. We, we, we translate the younger son asking for his share of the inheritance. It actually says he asked for his share of the father's life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Of course, the father knows what he's asking. But what's going on in that biblical story is that the father offers his children his life. Mm. And both the children fail to embrace his life. They embrace a kind of servitude to him because they they come to think that if they work, if they do what they want to do, the younger son wants to go off and do whatever he wants. The older son wants to just work hard. They both think that if I do this, I'll get what I want. Mm. And both become slaves. Yeah. That's the ironic part of the parable. Mm. The younger son realizes he's become a servant. And so he just presents himself. I'm no longer a son. And then he gets raised to sonship. The older son thinks he's a son, but he's only a son in name only, which is why when when his younger brother comes back, he ends up barking at his father. Look how many years I've served you. Yeah, he doesn't get it. He He just doesn't understand that he shares in the father's life. And so I I think the the key is to do what you're, you're probably afraid to do. Mm. which is to tell God how you really feel about what how, how the Christian life is going for you. And if that means you're disappointed, you need to tell him that. Mm. Um, now, you probably should end with not my will, but yours be done. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. But, but telling God the truth. I mean, I, I think many of us think that deep down that, that God either can't handle or just simply doesn't want to handle the truth. Mm. And there's something ironic about that. Like we think it's more faithful to not be honest. Mm, yeah. <laughs> which is weird <laughs> when you think about when it. you say it out loud it's clear that that is not the right way but, when you, <laughs> but you do you get in your head and you're like god doesn't want to hear me complain to him 
or, you know, you know and yet that's what he, I mean, what a third of the Psalms are laments. You know? Totally. <laughs> God, yeah, this yeah. is not working. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite Psalm when he, when the, the Psalmist demands to know if God's fallen asleep on the job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like that's a that's a great prayer, uh, you know. And, and the the funny thing is, you know, God, it's not that like, it's funny because it's verbalizing these things. It feels bad to us, but it's not like God isn't seeing it all already. Like that's the fantasy right. that God doesn't know that I think that. But if I verbalize it, then it's like, uh-oh, oh no, what's gonna happen, you know. And um, but God sees and knows these things, and and um, and again, I I love that scene with the older brother. Mm -hmm. um, because the older brother is honest, like, where's mine? Look how yeah. many years I've served you. I'm what you're having a party. Where am I hard at work in the fields where I always am? Mm -hmm. When am I going to get mine? And, and the father's response is just so astonishing. Like the, it, my life has been open to you, mm -hmm. like embrace mm -hmm. me. And the embracing of the father will mean embracing him in the truth that that's maybe not what we're looking for. And that's maybe mm. not what we desire. And, and, and what we'll discover is that there's life there because that's going to get to the core of what we do long for and what we do worry about and what we do fear and all those mm -hmm. sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to think of those two stories, like of that story tied with Mary and Martha, where you have, mm. you know, where she's like, I'm, I'm doing all the work. What is going on? And Jesus is like, uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could be with me. It, it's, yeah. it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, and it just rings true. You have just this kind of reality that we just kind of live in our dustiness and we get so used to it and we get so focused kind of on this, you know, like I need to be doing this because a it's, it's stuff that has to be done and B this is where the value is. And we mm -hmm. lose sight of what is truly valuable because we're so covered in, in our dustiness that we lose sight of the truth of the beloved part. Of yeah. Anyway, sorry, side tangent. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, it brings us to a great sort of wrap up question. Mm -hmm. And that is that um, on page 36, you talked about the shift from our efforts to find freedom from our creaturely reality to finding freedom within the goodness of God's creation. And I just felt like that really sort of summed up this radical life transforming mindset, learning to really embrace the fact that we are God's beloved dust. So what can happen as we learn to sort of embrace this reality and trade it for the one that we've, you know, the lies that we've been believing this whole time of trying to escape it and trying to find freedom from it. But when we really embrace it, what can that do? in our lives. Oh, yeah. I mean, the biblical term is peace. Mm. <laughs> Shalom, right? It, it is what we can find there is, is real peace. And, you know, the, the, the difficulty is it's, it's not, it won't come the way we think it will come or the way we mm. hope it will come. Because what we really want to have happen is I just learned that I got that, that, that the answer right on the Bible exam. Okay. Where's my peace? And <laughs> It, it's like, wow, we, this is something, wow, we just really need to live into because we don't realize at times how deep these things run in us mm -hmm. that most of us don't choose, for instance, when we wake up to start worrying, we just worry. Mm. And so now I've got to take all of these things and reframe them around the truth of, okay, <laughs> this, you know, it, you know, I think, I think it was Jamin that wrote in the book, you know, coming home one day and telling his wife, Kristen, I didn't get anything done today. 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, is that true? <laughs> you really, did you yeah, really, really do nothing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet, how often do we frame our world that way? Like nothing's getting done. I've got so much, and, and we frame it in a kind of anxious state. And rather than saying, Lord, this is what I can do today. Mm-hmm. And this is what's realistic. And this is all I have, Lord. You've told me without you, I could do nothing. And in my weakness, I can know you're, but well, I'm weak here. <laughs> this, is all yeah. I got. <laughs> this is all I can do. Mm-hmm. And when we realize that, you know, I think it's, that's where real peace and freedom can come in. Um, when, you know, one of the most astounding things about second Corinthians 12, nine and 10, that's where, where, where Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient for you for my powers made perfect in weakness. Paul's response to that is to say, you know, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And so God's power, it doesn't come from within it. It actually comes from outside and rests upon those who embrace their weakness. And so the, the, the difficulty is that it won't feel powerful. It will just feel like weakness. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's right. And then it's almost like after the fact, we'll recognize the power of God there. Mm. But that's where it, it really does. This is why it's by faith and not by sight. Um, if, if we could just see, if God just gave us a secret magical formula of power, then, you know, that, that now would just, we just abide in the ways of the world. But the call to faith, is a call to trust that no God really is with us in this. Like I'm not, I'm just not just toiling on my own. And and I, you know, I've wondered. I love that you brought up the Mary and Martha parable because I, I have all sorts of <laughs> questions about that. Like, you know, someone needed to make dinner, right? <laughs> like, was there a way for Martha to to make the dinner faithfully in the presence of Jesus, though? Mm. Like, we're like Jesus is respond like you're worried and anxious about so many things. Like, was there a way for her to go about her tasks in a way that just wasn't worried and anxious, but with the Lord, it's not like wow. she had to leave his presence to do those things. She's there in the midst of it. Um, and, and I think for, I think what's hard about that parable for some of us, it's like, well, either I do the work I'm supposed to do, or I just become a monk, I guess. What is yeah. Mar- what is Mary up to? Yeah. Sitting around? Like, I don't know. We're like, fasting. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are we doing? You know, it's, and, and it's like, no, maybe there's actually a middle ground here where yeah. like, we're able to do all these things with God in the presence of God. And, and part of that is the starting point saying, well, I, I just need to embrace the rhythms of being a creature that you've instilled in, instilled in me. Um, and mm-hmm. for some people, that just means rhythms, right? Like, like, I just need to discover how much sleep I need and abide by that. Yeah. And yeah. that's actually faithful. Like that, um, you know, that doesn't mean I never know, not do that. Yeah. <laughs> right? You can't be a faithful parent with an infant, for instance, and say, sorry, I need eight hours. You know? yeah. I was, Jason's I was thinking, giving an amen. I'm, I'm thinking that exact thing right now. <laughs> yeah. But that's even an interesting phase of life, like to just say, well, God created that. I don't know. I mean, yeah. he could have been like, like deer walk, what, like 30 minutes after they're born? It's like he could have mm-hmm. created humans like that. Like as a parent with young children, you, you're, you have a decade now of like, I'm going to have to do most stuff for you. And that's a weird decade. And <laughs> that's, that's something I need to just kind of embrace to live faithfully and, and yeah. to love. And, and there's all sorts of things like that in life. And, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, I mean, one of the outcomes of this that, that we don't talk about nearly enough is that, you know, I'm in my forties for, for most of us, 
in from I'd say 20 to 60, we are we are learning to live a certain life that is going to give us the resources that we're going to need for that latter phase of life. Mm -hmm. But most of us learn things that actually make that life impossible. Hmm. And we come to see post 60 as afterlife Hmm. as whereas biblically you are now stepping into the prime. This is the time where you can now wield an entire life of faithfulness for the sake of his service, Hmm. where you truly have become an elder. And we kind of think about it as I hope I can get a decent tea time every day or, you know, like, and yeah, retirement. <laughs> I'm gone. That's right. That's right. I've, I've done the hard work. Now I can kind of check <laughs> out. And in the kingdom, there's, there's something very different. You know, my, my, we, I say every year we get at least one student. I absolutely love this. We get students who retire into seminary. Mm-hmm. And I awesome. think it's the coolest thing in the world. I we just had a guy, I interviewed him when he, when he applied and he's like, I've been working on my whole life, splitting the genome with these computer programs, you know, all this is crazy. Because, but then I started ministering at my church to young married couples and I found my calling. And so mm. I want to, I go, I'm going to go to seminary to learn how do I care for young married? I'm like, this is awesome. Like this guy's doing retreats wow. with young married couples. Like this is, this is retirement. That's awesome. And he's, but he's learning in that age to embrace a life of power that is only discovered in the finitude of elderliness. Mm. And, and that's a meaningful life. Whereas I worry that so many culturally in our culture, old age is meaninglessness and it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be that way. It can yeah. be the time with the most profound meaning. And so what, everything up to that point, we're all training for that. Mm. Are we wow. training well or not? <laughs> and so if our life is rejecting our finitude, good luck. Yeah. Oh, 70. Cause what you're going to be confronted with is quite a lot of finitude. And if all you know how to do is to reject it, then that is a scary time of life and probably a pretty meaningless time of life, sadly. Wow. Mm. Wow. This is all great stuff. And what's fun is this, this is just the beginning of our conversation about beloved dust. So in, in the following weeks, we're going to continue kind of talking through this book in a different way next week. Um, we're going to do a deep dive into the topic of rest, which is mentioned a whole ton throughout the book. And, and so we're going to do kind of a overview about rest. And then the following week, we're going to do an overview on, on prayer, which is also featured heavily in the book. And then we're going to wrap up, um, with a conversation about developing rhythms, which Kyle just started to talk about a little bit there. So thank you so much for joining us. This was an awesome intro into this topic, into the world of this book. If you have not read it, um, I highly encourage you to do so. We'll put the link in the show notes or in the description uh, below. So, so go buy the book and then start to read it so that as we're having our conversation, you can also kind of engage along with that conversation and feel free to send any questions or comments either, either in the comment section, if you're watching on YouTube or you can send us an email at maturity at saddleback.com. We always value your feedback. Kyle, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'll also link to Kyle's um, other books in the description as well. So you can see see that as well. Um, or if you want to sign up to go to Talbot, you know, take a class with Talbot. <laughs> go to seminary. With Kyle, does age, age doesn't matter. That's right. As we just heard. Uh, so, so that's awesome. Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciate your time. And uh, we will be back with you guys again next Tuesday.
If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com slash grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week.